Hi folks, great to have you with us. My name's Matt and today uh, we continue in our series looking at some of the themes that come through in the book of Romans. And we've entitled this series, Key Questions. And the key question that I'm going to ask today is what can I expect of life? What can I expect of life? I'm not going to say everything that there is to say uh, about this, but let me start with this. Let me start by kind of tearing off uh, the Band-Aid and making uh, a statement that is a kind of a cultural generalization, really, that sums up uh, what a lot of both Christian and non-Christian analysts are saying about our culture, the culture that we live in. We are, in short, and this is what they're saying, we are the most spoiled, entitled, demanding, self-centered people that have ever lived. We believe it is our right to be happy, to fulfill our dreams and desires, to have access to a life of pleasure, absence of suffering, we are an incredibly entitled people. This is what I've, there's a number uh, of books pointing this out about our culture, the characteristics, I guess, the characteristic mindset, the posture of our culture. You know, if we don't get the things that we want, we tantrum like Veruca Salt. Who remembers Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka? and the chocolate factory. Remember the song that she sang? I want the world, I want the whole world. I want to lock it all up in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate, give it to me now. Well, we can be a bit like that, can't we? Now, I could go on and diagnose this at a kind of societal level and there's abundant literature on this, but I actually wanna look at this at a more personal level. I think we know this to be true because it is impossible that we are not to some extent complicit with this in some way. It's impossible that we have not been uh, influenced in some way by this aspect of our culture. And I believe that this is a key thing that God wants to address in our lives because I think this is such a big blocker to our experience of walking with God, this sense of entitlement. I want to uh, tell you two stories, um, two stories that highlight a contrast between two ways of thinking. The first of these stories is a story actually about the Russian novelist uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky, who was at one point, uh, he was actually sentenced to death by firing squad uh, for simply actually reading banned literary materials. Now, he was sentenced, he was taken out, uh, lined up to be shot along with other people. And as he was tied there to the pole with the blindfold on, he heard a carriage coming in and as the soldiers were lined up, he heard someone get out of the carriage and they went to the, uh, went to the um, commander of the, of the firing squad unit and there was a bit of chit chat Next thing, they pulled the blindfold off him and they announced to him that a last-minute acquittal had come from the Tsar, that, he'd been, that his sentence had been commuted to four years hard labour in Siberia. 
you can imagine what that was. Imagine being tied to this pot and you were waiting to be shot. But then at the very last minute, you're saved from that. And instead, he was, as I said, he was sent to Siberia for four years. He would send the whole, he would serve the whole of that time uh, shackled hands and feet in Siberia. But here's the thing. Dostoevsky was just so thankful to be alive. He was so thankful because he could have died, but instead of dying, he had four years in Siberia, after which he was going to, well, he actually had to do a year of compulsory military service after that. But after that, he was going to be able to get back to his life and keep writing and do the things that he, he, you know, that he loved. So he went into Siberia and he was so thankful for this. In fact, his gratitude actually buoyed up his spirits during the time. And he was actually quite a consolation to a number of other prisoners who were often uh, so hopeless in, in, their, in, in, their, you know, in their own uh, attitude that they were often on the verge of suicide. And he would console them. And he actually saved uh, people from suicide during his time in Siberia because... He was buoyed up simply with a sense of gratitude to be alive, albeit in Siberia, in hard labor, in chains. And yet he was just grateful to be alive. That's the first story. The second story actually comes from, uh, in fact, a novel that Dostoevsky actually probably read. Uh, He said that, according to his own accounts, he read... Um, Charles Dickens' novels in, uh, while he was in uh, Siberia. Uh, and the next story actually comes from a Charles Dickens novel uh, called Bleak House. Now, the backdrop for the novel is a court case which concerns the fate of a large family inheritance. Now, this court case dragged out, had already, by the time the novel's action takes place, this court case had actually dragged out for many generations, for a number of generations before the action of the novel. And in fact, before the case is even resolved, there comes a point in the novel where the the court proceedings simply stop because the legal costs actually end up devouring the whole worth of the estate, rendering any final verdict completely moot. This case uh, was known as Jarndyce and Jarndyce. And actually, Jarndyce and Jarndyce now in the legal world has become something of a byword for seemingly interminable legal proceedings. So... Interestingly, in the novel, we're told that generations, uh, over the generations, this case has driven, had driven members of the Jandice family completely mad as they, as they sought a resolution in their sense of entitlement, that they felt that they deserved this money, that this, the money, the family estate, that this should go to them. And they all lived very comfortably, actually. They lived quite, you know, they were quite prosperous. But they could have been more prosperous, you see. They lived in beautiful houses, but they could have lived in large mansions if this estate came to them. And so they got uh, embroiled in this interminable court case, fighting for what they saw as their rights. And it actually 
drove them mad. It tormented them, drove them mad. In the case of uh, one of the key um, plaintiffs, uh, uh, Tom Jarndyce in the, in, in the novel, uh, he actually ends up committing suicide. And one of the key characters in the novel uh, is a, a young man called Richard, who's a member of this family, who himself is driven mad by this court case. It becomes an obsession. And again, he lives very comfortably. Uh, he's quite prosperous. But he is tormented by what he sees as his entitlement. That's the second story. This actually reminds me in some ways, and I want to connect this with a story um, that uh, something of something that happened to Jesus, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 7. And it's a story that you might know. And in this story, Jesus is at the house of a Pharisee. He's having dinner with the Pharisees. And if you know the story of Jesus, he had a very fraught relationship with these religious leaders. These religious leaders who were really the godly people of their time. And, and they, you know, they, they were often, you know, they were generally the prosperous elite uh, of the society. They were very, uh, very prosperous. And they felt entitled to that. They felt that they were reaping uh, the blessings of God um, from their obedience, from their godly lives. And they were constantly very um, angry at Jesus because he didn't really recognise their position. You know? <laughs> he didn't recognise their entitlement. And so there's this constant, um, this constant tension between Jesus uh, and these Pharisees. Anyway, at one point he's at a Pharisee's house and a woman comes in, uh, a woman that is described as a sinful woman. And she comes to Jesus and she falls at his feet and she weeps and she wets his feet with her tears and she wipes them with her hair. And it says that she kissed his feet and she poured perfume out on her feet. Anyway, the Pharisee looking on as the story goes is absolutely indignant at this. How can you allow this unworthy woman, this woman is not worthy to even be in this house. You should know, Jesus, that she is not worthy to be in the presence of godly people like us. So why don't, why don't you send her away? He was indignant. And so Jesus says, and this is uh, from verse 40, it says, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people own, owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus says. It's interesting in this novel, and of course what happens from here is that he castigates the Pharisees, but he forgives the woman. And he says, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So here you have the experience of two people, just like the two stories that I told you. Story of Dostoevsky, even in Siberia, who was just grateful to be alive. And then the story of Richard Jandice, who is just tormented by the fact that he's not getting what he felt entitled to, even though he was already quite comfortable. In this story of Jesus, we have these two people. We have a sinful woman. She doesn't feel like she deserves anything. She doesn't feel like her life warrants 
anything. But she is so grateful to Jesus. She is so filled with joy at the end of this story compared to the Pharisee who's just angry. He's just angry. You know, entitlement is a great burden. But by contrast, there is such peace and joy in humility. Now, what I mean by humility is the attitude. I mean, there are a lot of things we could say about humility. But in this context, by humility, I mean this attitude that says, I don't warrant anything. I'm not owed anything. I don't deserve anything. I'm not entitled to anything. Mainly because, of our, because we have all rebelled against God. As Paul says in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is entitled to anything but condemnation. So we are like the sinful woman in that story in, in Luke chapter 7. So let me come back to the main question, to that key question. What can I expect of life? Well, the answer, because of what Jesus Christ did for us, because of what God did for us in Jesus Christ, who suffered and died so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God. This is what we can expect. This is what we can know for sure will be given to us in this life if we receive it. Forgiveness. Complete exoneration from guilt, peace and joy with God, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in our hearts and complete assurance that God's purpose, God's purpose will be realized in our lives. We can be absolutely assured that. We are not owed anything. It's not because it's owed to us. It's not because we're entitled to it. No, we don't deserve this. It's gifted to us by grace. Now, grace means undeserved favor. God will bless you with many, many good things. God will bless you with many, many good things. Most of you, if not, I, and I, I would say everyone listening to me, has been blessed with far more over and above forgiveness and, and peace and joy with God and the whole. We have been blessed over and above with many, many good things, but we're not owed any of these things. We're not entitled to these things. This is a gesture of the grace of God. Undeserved favor. I've been so struck as I've read through the book of Romans and as I've read through the subsequent letters of Paul and lately I've been reading through 2 Corinthians as well. I've been so struck by the joy in Paul's humility. The joy in Paul's humility. It's so countercultural. There's such a countercultural humility here and I believe this is the thing that will distinguish us from our highly entitled culture, our gratitude. It's exemplified in so many ways by Paul. Paul was so thankful. 
to be forgiven and included in God's purpose. I mean, he had persecuted, he had rebelled against God, God profoundly. I mean, we've all rebelled against God, but he had even persecuted God's people to death. He was so profoundly thankful just to be forgiven, to be able to walk with God and to serve God in his purpose, to be a child of God and to serve God. He was content to have this peace. Now, Paul suffered terribly in his life. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, he says this, he says, I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false beliefs. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. It's as Jesus says in John's gospel, in this world, you will have trouble. But here's the thing. The thing that buoyed Paul up through all of this is that he was just so thankful for his life in Christ. Everything else was a bonus. He was just so, that's what buoyed him up through everything that he went through, just to be loved by God and to know that he was assured of a glorious inheritance. He didn't expect Good, thing, good things in this life because he understood we're broken people living in a broken world. Life isn't fair. Did you ever say that to your children when they come to you and say, oh, that's not fair. Life isn't fair. Not now. We don't have perfect justice and we don't have final fulfillment. Now that's in the new heavens and the new earth, as Paul points out in, in Romans. And so he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. There's something wonderful up ahead, Paul says. And I'm just so thankful that I have a glorious inheritance. And then in Romans 8, verse 31, as a, and and here is such a beautiful expression of Paul's gratitude, of Paul's celebration of what he does have that carried him through all of the things that he went through. He says from verse 31 of Romans chapter 8, what then shall we say in response to these things? And he just talked about, you know, the fact that the world is broken and this life is hard. He says, what shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And he's talking uh, about his reward in glory. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ, who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
saying this one is forgiven. That's what he's talking about. And he was, you see, he's so grateful for this. Verse 35, who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And he had suffered all of these things. But he can, he can move through those things because he knows that none of that is going to take away what has been given to him by grace. The love of God. As it is written, verse 36, as it is written, Paul says, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, he says in verse 31, in all these things, we are are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors because we have the grace of God and we we are so grateful for that. As he says, verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He was so grateful. He was free of entitlement and amazed by God's grace to him. In fact, he saw his whole life as an expression of gratitude to God. It was all about serving God. It's actually just what he says in Romans 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, in Romans 12, 1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so he says in Philippians 1, and he was in prison at the time. Paul was in prison. Not trying to break out, he was in prison. And he says this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. That's the main thing for Paul. He doesn't feel entitled to get, I, this I don't deserve being imprisoned. No, he's not. You see, that would have driven him mad because he spent a lot of time in prison. No, he says, I'm just grateful to be alive. I'm grateful to be part of God's purpose. And in fact, my imprisonment, is actually going to serve the gospel. He goes on in verse 13 of Philippians chapter 1. As a result, it has been made clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone that I am in chains for Christ. For to me, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of of this, I know I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Do you see how his humility, the absence of entitlement, brings such godly joy and contentment to Paul? This is so counter- cultural. He, Paul, in, in this sense, he, he embodies that humble posture that Jesus speaks about in Luke chapter 17. Talk about countercultural in, in our highly entitled culture. Listen to this. Jesus says in Luke 17 from verse 7, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, Jesus says, so you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, 
We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Just like Paul. No, no. We're just grateful to be alive. We're just doing what we do because in view of God's mercy, we are compelled to offer our bodies as living sacrifice. We are not entitled to anything. Everything that we have is by God's grace. It's undeserved. But therefore, all the greater is our joy. Therefore, all the more secure is our inheritance. We didn't earn it. So we can't lose it. And so it is secure for us. We are secure. There is such peace in humility. Such peace in humility. And so actually Paul goes on in Philippians chapter 2. And he says this. He says, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. See, if there was anyone that actually warranted, anyone whose life, anyone, if there was anyone ever who deserved good things, it was Jesus Christ. And yet even he, even though he was deserving of that, yet he pushed that aside and he sacrificed himself for us. This is what Paul says in Philippians 2. Have the same mindset. You should have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Who, he says, from verse 6, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and and by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Have this same mindset. I believe that this is what God is looking. There is, I I feel so compelled by this. And in our recent services, uh, I shared very personally about uh, a real breakthrough that I've had in, in, in coming really into the peace of this realization. God is looking for this humility. God is looking for this humility, for a people who will follow Jesus in this. There is such a profound rest and peace and joy for us, but it's in humility. It's expressed, and I'll finish with this, it's expressed by by the psalmist in Psalm 131. He says this, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. You see, I'm not entitled. I don't consider myself you know, worthy of recognition and, and of, of, uh, of, of reward. No, I'm, I'm not worthy of recognition and, and reward. I, my, my heart is not proud. My eyes not haughty. I do not concern myself with matters or things too wonderful for me. But I've calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. And so he says in verse 3, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore, because he is our reward. He, as the psalmist says elsewhere, the Lord is my portion. 